0: Joining us uh, today by phone from Toronto is Greg Winoff. I'm gonna introduce you as somebody who is a radical watcher, you're an independent journalist, you've got a blog that you've been writing now for many years, GenuineWitty.com.
1: I know a lot of people personally involved in these movements for my being involved in Occupy. And, and the average person who is out there protesting believes they're protesting for climate change. And they believe they're doing the right thing and a good thing. Um, the leaders of the protests, on the other hand, they, they're, they're more involved, right? Most of them, you look, they're, they're involved with socialist, revolutionary-focused groups, and they're, they're, they're not there to help the First Nations necessarily, they're there to help their movement. And the First Nations offer them opportunities of, of um, stirring things up. A few years ago, I wrote a story of, of the uh, five things every journalist needs to know about the Unistotin camp. And one of the main ones is the camp isn't all that indigenous. Here's a, here's a quote from um, one of the uh, hereditary chiefs. He wrote, we have lots of folks from all over the world here at the camp every day. We hardly see any of our own people here. This is a great place to make new friends. There's a camp coming up in May, no, this is a few years ago, and a whole lot of volunteers coming from around the world. Why don't you come up? So even the people who were running the camp, this this was um, in 2014, admitted that there weren't that many First Nations people involved in the camp. And so they're, they're taking First Nations issues and they're taking the store and ripping the scab off of it and, and creating a lot of damage inside of societies from what I've seen.
0: And how do they, how are, how do they position, position themselves there? Like, how do, they, how do they get themselves into that position? From
1: what I've seen, generally what happens is most of these activists, uh, well, a lot of these activists are in the cities are involved in the poverty industry. So in the downtown east side of Vancouver, there will be people coming down there who are First Nations who are recruited then. And later on, they come back up to their nation with them. So they have these poor people who are suffering and through poverty and having very, very little to look forward to. They pick them up, they radicalize them. And, and they then take them home and they stir up trouble like they are right now. But I guess it goes back to one of my pet peeves with the media. When I started following this First Nations conflicts, uh, I keep on reading articles in the uh, CBC that First Nations oppose pipeline. The average person, and me included, for years, I'd read those articles, First Nations uh, against the pipeline. And I would just think, okay, well, then First Nations people don't like pipelines, right? But a whole lot of First Nations people do like pipelines, and they want to have, particularly in the in the gas in the gas pipeline case of, of the uh, Coastal Gas Pipe Pipeline, is they've got every every band council accepting it, and they have interviews on the street of people who want it because it's getting them jobs. All indications are the majority of people in 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 the Wet'suwet'en community want this pipelines. But these activists are trying to stop them by bringing in these five chiefs. Five out of uh, 12 or 13, I believe, but not a majority. Kind of like saying that there of five kings who should be making the decision. But the, the voices so, Greg, we haven't been hearing... Greg, one,
0: Greg one, yeah. second, one second. I just want to make sure that, uh, and I think you can see this footage, I'm just rolling a little bit right now of some close-up shots of some of the people that have been at the protests. And they're not particularly indigenous?
1: No, neither was the uh, Unisotian camp when it started up for the Wusutian protests. And to their own words, not many of their own people were there. If you, I, I would say from my observations the last eight, nine years, most of these First Nations protests are um, maybe five or six people at the front of the protest and then a bunch of white people behind them. It's not just like that with, with First Nations protests. Take the Black Ma- Lives Matters protests in Toronto. They had a big rally at the Toronto police station. And it was a sea of white people with like 10 black people up front. They're grabbing to people through their identity and using identity politics to leverage things. But in reality, they don't have that many people from the identity they're trying to leverage that they're involved. And if you look at the real power behind most of these protests, it's career activists who most of them are not First Nations. All these non-Native protesters, if you look at their backgrounds and their history, it goes back to the um, the anti-globalization movement. And, and the Battle of Seattle in Seattle when they um, had the WTO there in 1999, when people had their first black bloc incident where people would dress up in black masks and run down through the street and smash windows and things. That was the birth of this movement here that's going on. That moved on to Quebec City where they had the uh, Summit of the Americas protests where we had similar black bloc actions. The the, the most active of all the uh, NGOs up there has been the Council of Canadians, which is an environmental labor allied organization led by Mark Barlow. There's a militancy in these protesters and there's, they're based, if I was to really water them down, they're state activists. They're the people who during the 2010 Olympics uh, they were smashing up the streets in Vancouver during the G20 in Toronto in 2010, they were smashing up the streets in Toronto. They were looking for fights. And the Council of Canadians is very central to those fights. And they're they're funded by the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. And the Council of Canadians was involved in funding and building the healing center up at the Wet'suwet'en. Uh, we have the, the Ruckus Society up there at, at the Wet'suwet'en, uh, which is an American group funded by rockefeller uh, and tides and, and many of the other ngos uh funding anti activism sorry anti-environment environmental activism here in canada so there's there uh, also- i've got
0: their website up there uh right now greg for everyone to see uh, their tagline is power concedes nothing without a demand and never has and it never will
1: the record society was um was one of the fundamental organizations behind the violence of the uh, World Trade Organization in Seattle, what they call the Battle of Seattle. They're based out of Oakland, uh, California, which is the center of the American um, militant anarchist movement. If you were to use a word for them, some people use communist or socialist or Marxist.
0: So let's uh, jump to the next so as we move along here, um, the Indigenous Environmental Network. Digital environmental Network. Sorry, indigenous Environmental Network.
1: Is another um, NGO that's uh, funded by Tides and Rockefeller uh, Brothers and other U.S. funds. They were uh, very involved in, in starting up the camp at the Unisotin camp and, and getting the uh, the buildings built and, and such.
0: When you type in, you know, Wusso, uh, uh into Twitter, you're going to get like Wissotin strong, you know, Wissotin solidarity. You just poke around a little bit on any of those hashtags and you're going to see the hashtag... Shut Canada down, and the Shut Canada down hashtag, and that whole program is driven by th- these people. It's going down.
1: Yes, there a well, there a website that allows anarchists to pu- post anonymously of their actions that they take. So over the years, it's going down. Is published just the live the reports of the anarchists who have tampered the train lines or. Who got involved in police fights or got involved in different protests? But it's mainly very, very subversive, very um, destructive protests, illegal protests, and it's going down is the tool that the anarchist activists are using to promote their illegal activities under the uh, under a, the <coughs> a mask, so no one will know who's writing the articles.
0: Donald Trump calls us thugs. Democrats complain yes. that they can't control us. What are they afraid of? Anarchists oppose all forms of oppressive power. We strive for a world based on self-determination and mutual aid. As the world veers towards tyranny, only grassroots direct action can keep our communities safe. If you're ready to take action without waiting for orders, you're one of us. If you want to learn more about us, visit these websites.
1: The man whose voice was in that video, his name was Franklin Lopez. Franklin Lopez, he comes from a family. His father was a revolutionary in um, the Caribbean. He later worked for um, uh, Democracy Now in the U.S. as a producer. And then he came up to Canada and started making these anarchist videos. It's us, and we'll smash the state, and we'll burn down police cars. And every time people in black masks smash something up, he does a video on it. The interesting thing about Franklin Lopez is that he was hired by Al Jazeera, to do a documentary up at the Winterton protest, and to do a documentary on the east coast in New Brunswick at the Mi'kmaq um, the protests against the natural gas there. And so he's an interesting fellow in that he's writing videos or doing videos, encouraging people to be burning down cop cars, but he's literally funded by a um, <clears throat> by a um, uh, Qatari state-run TV station, Al Jazeera, who are funding him to do these videos, encouraging people to get into fights with the police
0: at the Assumption protests. Let's focus on the people that run this country. They expect all of Canada, the rest of non-Aboriginal Canadians, right, to have absolutely no say. This is one of those issues where immigration you can't talk about or you're racist, right? You can't talk about First Nations issues or you're a racist period. So, you know, we have people who think that um, a 30-year-old white dude, right, has to pay for what his ancestors did 80 years ago. What the hell? That There's no way that that's the world that we should be living in. But that is what so many people believe. And I mean, I just had a conversation with a friend of 30 years yesterday. We hadn't talked in years. And um, He's got a very active business going on, helping um, First Nations uh, with business development and so forth, you know, more power to him. But when listening to him and he's talking about how public, you know, as a very good thing, that public opinion in Canada is almost there. They almost fully believe that every single white person that's living today is responsible for the injustice to natives. That's, That's just that's just insane. And, you know, let me just take this as a moment to bring this up, right? I may be white, and I rue, I rue the race baiters that make me have to do this. But I'm not white. I'm a card-carrying Aboriginal Canadian. I'm Métis. This is my Métis Nation of BC card. And Vancouver Métis Citizen Society. I'm an Indian, right? But I'm white. So take that, my blood's red and I'll tell you it's red. So, you know, we gotta have a discussion in Canada that just goes well beyond where we're stuck with. And our politicians, until they allow Canadians to have a discussion in safety, I'm very worried about how we're gonna end this because sooner or later, you know, the, the succession movement that is, is being supported by anarchists from the U.S. and around the world who wanna see the destruction of Western civilization, we're just gonna get eaten eaten up, right? The regular Canadians. They don't really talk about what they they want to build afterwards. They say
1: they want to build some cooperative blah, 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 but I don't really hear very many solutions from people. This is one of my experiences. I lived in in East Europe after the wall fell. And I I saw the results of what happened was revolution and evolution. This is a big discussion we had at Occupy. What do we need, revolution, tear it all apart? Or evolution, maybe we get a little bit better, right? revolutions a very dangerous thing what these people want to have is when revolution comes and i watched it happen i've been lived through the after effects is the poor people and the old people and the weak who are going to suffer most and these are the people that these activists say that they're supporting
0: yeah greg and i mean, that's so critically important i mean i'd like to add to that uh, just as an addendum is that the issue is never the issue The issue is always the revolution. And so they never actually get to the end because it's just from one issue to the next. And you know, sober-minded people look at it and go, well, didn't we fix that issue? And then there's the next issue and then the next issue and then issues layered upon issues. That's because it's never about the issue, right? The issue is the revolution, dummy. Don't you get it? Right? As long as we're fighting for radical change, we're A-OK. That path that you see, how responsible do you think that really is, that traffic coming from the U.S. into Canada? We've talked a lot about the ideology, I want to finish just a little bit more on the money. How much of an issue is that? I think the sheer volume of money coming in is quite an issue.
1: Um, is it A question I like to ask Canadians quite often is, who, who is the richest country on earth? And the answer I like to give people is possibly Canada. Right? We have this small population of 33, 30, so many million people, and the second largest landmass on earth. We have oil, and we have gold mines, and we have copper, and we have trees, and we have salmon, and we have you name it, all these resources. And all these outside organizations from other countries are trying to influence what we do with it. And I don't think most Canadians realize what's happening, Well, I I know they don't, but all this outside influence on top of the fact that Canadians aren't that engaged with our politics and what's going on with this is, it's leading us to being influenced uh, to make decisions against ourselves, right? to fight against pipelines, to fight against Canadian pipelines while saying nothing about pipelines in Russia or Saudi or Nigeria, the ones leaking oil everywhere. I think this money has, has created a it's kind of warped our politics internally. It's kind of in some cases directed us to be almost self hating.
0: Yeah, that's um that's a pretty powerful uh, comment. Self hating. When you look at
1: the decolonization, that in a way is is that, is it not? I mean Canadians are so angry at themselves for what's happened in the past for First Nations, you know, as we should be. But we should be, you know, angry about the fact that there are First Nations that don't have clean water. Absolutely. But all that anger is being taken and it is being mixed up into other issues. If if everyone was protesting for First Nations people to all have fresh water, instead of to not have, not be able to make a living for the Wet'suwet'en people who are going to get jobs out of this, we're actually po- protesting for them to stay in poverty.